This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. I wouldn't worry about the money. Just pick out a cause that really matters to you and then talk to your kids and your family about it and see, hey, could we do something as a family together? Because I just feel like the family that gives together really grows together. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about money and happiness. It's the age-old question, right? Can money buy happiness? I know I've said it. If I make more money, I'll be happier. If I can get the next big commission check, then I'll be happier. Maybe if I score that bonus or or if my tax refund comes back bigger than I expected, then I'll be happier. But is that true? To help us explore this link between money and happiness, I've invited Derek Kinney on the show today. Derek is the CEO of Good Money Framework, the host of the popular Good Money podcast, and the author of the new book, Good Money, How to Make More Money to Do More Good. Derek is a sought-after guest on local and national media, where he's been interviewed on CNBC, Fox News, Wall Street Journal, and many, many other top media outlets. When Derek isn't helping people make more money to do good, he loves watching movies with his wife and kids. Welcome to the show, Derek. Andy, thanks for having me. You've got a great audience, and to put me in front of your audience means a lot, so I don't take that lightly. So thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing this good message because we're all about, you know, finding that intersection between, you know, building wealth, but also finding happiness. So let's have this conversation today. Do you believe money can buy happiness? Well, well, the answer is yes, but only a certain amount of happiness. You know, we're sort of sold this bill of goods as we're growing up that if we make a lot of money, life's going to be easy, you're going to be happy, you'll never worry another day in your life. And that's flat, dead wrong. And what people realize is that they spend their pursuit of life making money, and then they make it, and then they wonder, well, I thought I was supposed to be happier. This is what I was promised, and it's a broken promise which leads to frustration, which leads to them not wanting to make any more money. And we can't have that. So it's interesting. So in my book, Good Money Revolution, I interviewed a Harvard professor. His name is Dr. Mike Norton. And he talked about how at certain levels, when people reach them income-wise, they don't get any happier. And so I was curious and I dug into this and he said, believe it or not, Derek, the number is right about $75,000. Now, to you and me, $75,000 does not seem like a lot of money. You know, these days, in some families, that's kind of barely making ends meet. You know, I've met families like that. And what I realized was, and what he told me was, he said, Derek, true that when you make more money, you're more comfortable, you live a greater life of ease, you have more luxuries that you enjoy, but they're short-lived enjoyments. For example, if you buy that new car and you have that euphoric new car smell and you're driving down the road, you love it. And then a month later, two months, it's amazing how we as humans kind of adapt to great things in our lives. And now it's like, yeah, we're on to the next thing. So I was shocked by that. So $75,000 is basically the level at which we get above that. You don't have any long-term lasting difference in your happiness. 
do you think it's because we are solving our, I guess, our true needs and then some of those things that just make us happy after that point? I think that plays a big part of it. You know, one of the things that we've seen coming post-COVID is I've interviewed lots of people for different projects I'm working on is people's idea of their meaning of money is shifting. You know, prior to the pandemic, it was very, let's go make money. I want to get a bigger bank account. I want to get a bigger house, bigger car. Very, I would say, self-intrinsically motivated. But we've seen a shift now post-COVID. And I think part of it is, and my heart goes out to anybody listening who has lost a loved one, been impacted by what has happened, but they're rethinking, what does money really mean to me personally? And am I going to lock my happiness directly to my money? Or, and this is what I explore in my book, Good Money Revolution, about how can we attach meaning to our money, tie a purpose to profit, you know, cash to a cause, where people feel like I want to go make money, but I want to take part of it and use it to better my family, or use it to improve my community, or use it to make the world around me better. Well, now it's less about self-satisfying. It's more about how can we make the world better, which makes us feel better about ourselves and our pursuit of making more money. You're connected with a lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders. Do you find this to be a theme that's resonating amongst the business community as well, where, hey, we need to not only just make profit here, but we need to have purpose as well? Well, one person told me one time that, uh, you know, there's no purpose without profit, that people who take sort of a vow of poverty and say, you know what, I'm going to live my life in a way where I have no money and I'll have the greatest impact that way. And many people would say, well, you're not going to have a lot of impact because money for most people is actually their greatest lever that they can pull for positive change. You know, a lot of times people villainize money. They say, well, if you have a lot of money, you're bad. If you have a successful business, well, you must have done something illegal to to accumulate such wealth. You know, it's funny, a quick story on that. So in my book, I talk about this. There were two friends lived in the Midwest grew up identical. Their families were as though they were related. Well, one brother had an invention that literally made him a millionaire. Well, the other friend could not grasp how his friend could become a millionaire and went so far, Andy, as to accuse him of illegal stuff, dealing drugs, theft, stealing. And because his money belief was that because we grew up the same way, you can't have more money than me, it severed their friendship. And so what it taught me was sometimes these money beliefs that we bring to the table from our past, and they were taught to us by people who meant us well and not harm, are really crafting how we see the world. You know, and so as I, one entrepreneur, I met with uh, Damon John from Shark Tank. Now, I was curious. I said, Damon, when you're around all these other successful people, do people say that money is bad? And he said to me, he said, Derek, I've never heard that before. He said, in the circles I run in, nobody says money is bad. And so I, I took what he said and I thought about it and I took a step back. And what I realized was the people who say money is bad, get this, Andy, are the people who don't have it or they have less than the people that they're jealous of. And so they're the ones throwing the rocks in the windows of the wealthy, metaphorically, because they want to make more money. So part of the book is all about, look, 
You are where you are right now. I know it sounds like a fortune cookie, but look at where you're at. Whatever job you're in, whatever business you own, whatever your situation is in life right now, wherever your feet are planted, you can make positive change. You can begin making more money and ultimately do more good. So when your head hits the pillow at night, you've lived a life of fulfillment, which is a great way to live any day. I like that. Let's talk about how people are doing good or maybe a personal example from yourself. You make more money at your business and how do you do good into the world? Talk to us about that. Perhaps you have some examples. Yeah. So this example, I think will really help a lot of your business owners that are listening. So I started my financial planning practice about 27 years ago and I was a young pup. I was 25 years old, nary a gray hair in my head. And I had to ask myself, who's going to invest with a young punk like me. and But in my heart, I had a passion because I saw my parents struggled financially. They didn't have a plan. And no one was telling them or really walking alongside them saying, here's what you can achieve if you have a plan and know how to invest your money. And I thought, that's just wrong that there's nobody out there doing that. So I began to enter that discussion and got licensed and became a financial advisor. I was a communication major in college. Okay, so I took one finance class in college, but just felt like this was a passion I had. I could relate to people. And ultimately, I realized it's not the smartest person who wins the game. It's the person who can empathize the most with the smartest person that wins the game because ultimately they want to work with a person that understands them. And that's what I had going for me as I built my practice. And what I realized was I loved education. And my alma mater, Sam Houston High School here in Arlington, Texas, where I live today, I decided to go back once a month and give a teacher of the month and a student of the month award. Now, Andy, get this. I was giving the student like a $25 Amazon gift card and the teacher a $50 Amazon gift card. I mean, that's nothing. But to them, it was like they won the lottery. But even more than that, what I realized was it wasn't even about the gift card. It was about the recognition and the appreciation. And so back in the day, we had what were called newspapers. And so I would take a picture of myself with the student and the teacher and the principal, and I would send it to the local newspaper. And they called it, it was the Derek Kinney Fighting Texan Award because our mascot was the Fighting Texan. Okay. So a few months go by, I begin to get phone calls in my office and people would say, hey, Derek, we, we saw you in the paper. We'd like to work with you. And I found this puzzling. I'm a 25-year-old kid, no gray hair, barely any financial experience, and people are wanting to have me manage their money. So I finally said to one lady who called, I said, if you don't mind me asking, why did you call me out of all the advisors in town? Why are you calling my office? And she said something that stuck with me the rest of my business career. She said, Derek, it's because you care about the things that I care about. I care about education, and I know you do as well. And it taught me a lesson that if I, as a financial advisor, thought the game was all about investment returns or what I was giving to clients, I was commoditizing myself. But to decommoditize myself, to stand out, I began to integrate giving into my business. And so I became known as the giving financial advisor is what people would refer to me as. And so they knew that I took a portion of all of our proceeds and would give it to causes in Arlington that I cared about. And so what that did was, when I would enter my rotary meetings or church or organizations, 
people, hey, Derek, thanks for all your support. Thanks for your support. Or imagine if there is a prospective client there watching someone approach me saying, Derek, thanks for all you do for the community. Well, that endears me to them without us even visiting or knowing each other. And then the business discussion is very, very easy. And what I found, interestingly enough, people were willing to pay more for businesses they felt were giving back in the community because it let them enter a story that they couldn't go to on their own. They felt like they were part of something bigger and making our community even better. Talk about the local impact versus national versus global. How do you decide personally where to focus your attention? Because as just a general person who enjoys giving, I, I do like giving back. I do struggle with that. How do I, I guess, have that impact, but also make it something that I'm passionate about? So in my book, and I'll hold this up a couple times, but Good Money Revolution, one of the concepts I talk about is called the generosity purpose. And so much of financial planning these days is all built on, A, how much do you want to have for retirement? And how much do you want to have in terms of paying off debt? Or how, how do you want to pay your kids college off? All those goals, which are very, very good. But what I want to do is flip that script completely, because Going for goals like that can leave you feeling meaningless and not like you're making much progress, especially when the market drops like it is right now. And so instead, what I want to do is restart the conversation with what is a cause that you care deeply about? Now, even as you hear me say that, you might go back to when you were a child and maybe there was a friend that was impacted by cancer or you, you heard of a family overseas that didn't have clean drinking water or the fact that homelessness is in your community or people that have hunger, whatever it is, to answer your question specifically, Andy, it's going to be whatever you feel the pain about. You know, so many people assume if I'm going to make a big difference in the world, I need to go overseas and I need to solve this grand problem. One of my podcast guests, Bob Goff, he wrote a book called Dream Big. He talks about, he said, Derek, on my podcast, he said, if you want to change the world, start by walking across the street. Now, when he said that, I thought that was so profound, but so simple. In other words, just start with the needs around you. For example, if you have young kids and you're listening right now, tonight at the dinner table, ask them, you know what? Mom and I or dad and I, whoever, have set aside $50 that we want to give away. Are there any friends that you have or any causes that you guys care about that as a family we could give money to? Will you be surprised what your son or daughter, you know, you know, Susan's dad lost his job or, or Mary's mom is struggling. And suddenly now there is a united front and you're training your kids on how to be sensitive to the community. Now, again, I didn't write this book to be totally altruistic. OK, this book is not about taking a vow of poverty and living in a monastery for the next 20 years. I want to help people make money. And what I find is. One of my colleagues, B. Bo Calandra, I write about this in the book, she did a lot of research on giving. And she talked about that when people watch a commercial on giving, what occurs in their brain. And she talked about how if somebody watches a commercial and it's on, you know, it's for a new car or a new pair of sneakers, your brain looks at it, processes it, and kind of moves on. But if the commercial is about, let's say, saving the whales or cleaning up debris in the ocean or helping people who don't have food, your brain engages that conversation and that discussion in a way, it's, it mimics the same emotion 
as if you're looking into the eyes of someone you love. Now, that's powerful because what it says is that our brain is wired for giving. And when we're around other people who give, we have a higher level of respect for them. We admire them. And what that means in business, it means they're likely to do business with you because you're a giving person. So many people think, well, if I give, I'm making less money. And I, I crumple that piece of paper up, throw it out the window and say, yeah, you're going to be giving, but people are going to want to pay you more. They're going to want to work with you more. And you're always going to be making more money to do more good. It's just a beautiful cycle. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's talk to the non-business owner, maybe the person who works at a company or just a, a general employee. And we're talking about this process of giving and fulfillment, really. Maybe this individual isn't giving a lot right now, but here's our message. Here's our conversation. Say, okay, well, you know, I want to get into this more, but man, I keep hearing that figure of 10%. That just feels like, whoa, man, that's a big jump for me. Would you have any suggestions for that person, maybe to ladder up their situation? So two things. First of all, wherever you're working right now, I believe that you can make more money. And here's the reality. So many people 
really get rankled when I say this, but everyone listening right now, whatever you're making right now is what you are currently worth. Now, now take a step back and just process that because some people may say, well, Derek, that's not right. I'm, I'm worth more than that. Well, you're technically not because by you receiving that paycheck and cashing it, you're telling them non-verbally that I agree with you. This is what I'm worth. Okay. So if you disagree with that, I have a couple of options for you. First of all, for people who work in a company right now where there is income increase opportunities, what you don't want to do is bang on the boss's door, demand the raise and say, hey, look, because my expenses have gone up, I need a raise. Remember that every boss's favorite radio station is always WIIFM. What's in it for me? That's the station to listen to loud and proud every single day. And so what you want to ask yourself is if you're the administrative assistant, you are you know, a middle manager, or you've got flexibility in your income, then you want to ask yourself, how can I increase sales, reduce costs, and grow the business in my current role? And so what I'm asking people to do right now is to think like an entrepreneur, to think like the business owner that you work for. Because if you're the business owner, what they don't want to do is pay to rehire somebody, pay to retrain somebody. They'd rather keep you where you're at. But if you can bring value to the table, they're going to want to listen to you. You know, I'll give you a quick story. A woman named Debbie came to me about five years ago, and she had joined a startup engineering company. And she was excited about the thrill of being part of something small and nimble and new. But two years into that, she felt overlooked, overworked, and underappreciated. She said, Derek, I, I actually like the people I work with, but I'm not making any more money. What should I do? And so we began to craft a strategy for her. And upon asking her some questions, we realized that she was the administrative assistant. Her boss, the owner of the company, there were about a 100 different customers that he oversaw in the business. But he would always complain about, I'm always out of time. There's no capacity. There's no time for me to bring in new business. It really stagnated the company. So what Debbie and I talked about is, What if she were to get licensed, which would take about three months, where then she could service some of those customers, she would offer to say, hey, give me 25% of your low-hanging fruit, the lowest revenue-producing customers. That would give her boss more capacity to bring in new business. She would ask for a raise, but also more importantly, she'd ask for a percentage of any new business gained that she generated from those customers. Okay, So it was all about what's in it for me, for the boss. The boss loved the idea, was super impressed, agreed to all of what she said because it gave him what he wanted, more capacity, paying her out of the profits really meant nothing. Well, then another idea that we came up with for another employee was at this particular company, there were two salespeople that everything went through. And the employee who was an administrative assistant didn't feel like there was a lot of upward potential for her said, what if you incentivized all of the employees that if we brought a referral in to the marketing department, we would then get a bonus? Well, what that did was it went from two people in the marketing department or the sales department, rather, to now the entire company empowered to bring in sales. So people were getting bonuses all the time now, but the business was growing exponentially. So what I'm asking people to do is to think differently. I mean, the the old adage is, if you always do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. And if people are willing to go against the grain, show some courage, and there's really no downside. 
If you go to your boss and say, look, I like working here. I want to add more value and I want to make more money. What's the downside? They're going to probably say, wow, here's an employee who cares about the business, cares about me, loves to work here. I don't see a downside. The problem is just knowing what to do. And in the book, I talk about just some simple ways to do that. Now, Andy, let me let me address one thing here. So there are some jobs where that flat won't work, okay? So let's say somebody listening who's a cop, a firefighter, a teacher, a pilot, where there's pay ranges for their jobs. You know, you could be the teacher that every parent wants their kid to have, but you're not making a dollar more until you've been there 25 years, you know, those jobs. And so in that case there, you've got a choice to make. You can either stay with your day job, which you probably love, or you can choose to change that and make more money. Most people choose to stay, but now you've got to look at the side hustle and the side gig. And the way I want to make this easy for your listeners is simply ask yourself one question, because so many people way overcomplicate. They think I've got to go back to college. I've got to learn how to code. I've got to, I've got to do things I don't really like to do to make more money. I want to make it easy for you. Ask yourself, what is the one problem that you find yourself solving for people on a daily basis? That may be in your family, with your friends, at the office. For example, do people regularly ask you, hey, do you have any planning tips on where we want to go on vacation? Or, hey, could you help us design this website? Or could you write this copy for us? Or, hey, could you lead this project? Or could you organize this party? Whatever that is, you probably have thought up to this point, that's so easy. Why would anybody pay me for that? That's exactly where the side hustle can easily begin because your focus group, the people who know you, like you, trust you, are telling you you're valuable, you're good at this. And to begin charging at that can be a way to bring in, in some cases, a couple hundred dollars, even a thousand dollars a month. So what I would just tell people is there's always a way to make more money if you're willing to do it. And if the cause that you care about, that you realize if you don't take action, the stakes are so high that if I don't do it, who will? And that can cause you to make more money and make the world better. I like that. So instead of thinking I'm going to be taking this money away from me right now to add to giving, you're talking about just increasing the pot to begin with. That way you have more to give. So that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about your passions. You're obviously very passionate about this subject. What calls to your heart? What do you like to give to? What brings you joy? Well, there's two things. I'm a, a man of faith. And so I give quite a bit to our church. You talked about the 10% tithing. I'm a big fan of that. And a gentleman early in our marriage taught us that he and his wife would incrementally increase their tithing. So they would go the next year 10.1, 10.2, because so many people get locked around either A, I can't possibly give 10, or, well, 10 is the max. I can't give any more than 10 to my local church or the things I care about. And so I just want to make sure that I keep giving, because what I have found, personal story, is the more I give, the more tends to come back to me. Now, what I'm not telling your listeners is give because you're going to get a whole lot of stuff. That's not the case. Maybe it's because there's value. Maybe it's the faith walk I'm on. All those pieces there have added, or I just feel like God has blessed that. But in, in terms of what, what ignites my passion, there there's a couple things. There are a couple pastors who we partner with locally that do overseas mission work. And so we have told them that whenever you need a flight paid for, just call us. And there have been times where there's money there, times where there's not, but we just say yes, 
That way it, it takes the burden off of them. They can do what they're good at. Because I, I always feel, Andy, that we're called to be in certain lanes. And, and I'll give you an example. For people that might go to church to listen to your podcast, you know, people often get pigeonholed into, well, you've got to work in the kids' ministry. Or, you know what? You'd be perfect for the kindergartners. And, and here may be a business person or someone who doesn't really want to do that. And they may have other talents. And I just think that organizations today, the smart ones, need to provide multiple entry points based on people's giftedness so they can give their time, money, or both. And those are going to be the successful organizations of the future. But what fires me up is I love investing in the lives of young people. It's just a passion I have. As a matter of fact, my youngest son is a junior. He's about to to be a senior in high school. And so for the past, it's been about 10 years, I've taught at their school a business and investing club. And so this was a deal where I wanted to do this, but I had to wait. A voice inside just said, wait until a student approaches you, Derek, so that that way it's their idea and you can work alongside. I don't want to be this this sort of this teacher parent, if you will, you know, bringing the thunder. And we just teach kids the soft skills, how to how people can know you, like you, trust you, eye contact, verbal enunciation, shaking hands how to talk to adults when you don't want to, when you see them at Target and you want to run the other way, how to approach them and and, and engage in that uncomfortable moment because you're going to stand out. And in the moment where they ask for, and who's a great babysitter or who would be a great intern, they're going to think of you because in that moment you prove that you were above a lot of other people. So those are the things that drive me. And even to this day, I still, I still text once a week, a large group of students just touching base with them because I realized it didn't make any sense for me to invest four years into them once a month in a meeting and then drop them when they graduated high school. So it's been fun to see some of them have graduated college now and are starting families. So that that invigorates me, but it also keeps me young. And a lesson I've learned recently is so many people think that wisdom only comes from people older than you, okay? And I believed that when I was younger. And what I found out was that's wrong. All it means is that people are older. It doesn't mean they're wiser. Okay, no, no, no disrespect, but that's not an assumption. I'm learning right now. I'm 53 years old. I'm learning as much from people younger than I am as I am people older than I am. So I would just encourage your listeners to look on both sides of that because the wisdom is there. You're just going to get it from different perspectives and different quantities. I love uh, how you're talking about your passion. Let's talk to the person who's listening right now and they are very interested in you know, aligning more of their hard work with their passion, but they're kind of putting their hands up being like, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm passionate about. Can we give them like a, a one step, you know, process following this interview where they can, you know, start to analyze those passions and then start moving towards being a little bit more giving in their life? Yeah. So the beauty of all of this is when I was a kid, there were these books called Choose Your Own Adventure. And so these were really cool books because they were like fantasy books. And at the end of each chapter, it would say, if you think the prince is going to marry the princess, go to chapter 13. Or if you think the marauders are going to capture the castle, go to chapter 12. And it was based on how you wanted the story to go. And what I would tell each of your listeners is, this is deeply personal. And it's one of the best ways I have found that you can take total control of your money. So many people complain, Derek, I barely have two nickels rubbed together. There's more month left than there is money. I get that. And they feel out of control financially. 
But when you choose to give in that moment, you are totally in control. And so what I would ask people to do is just look, just on a sheet of paper, write down what are some of the pain points that bother them in their local community? That irregardless of money, if they could help be part of a solution to a problem, what are the problems they see? It might be, you know, I wish there were, I mean, goodness sakes, right now, more security in schools, or I wish that teachers were paid more, or I wish that students could learn more business knowledge before they graduated for college. Or when I pull up to the street, I wish as I give the homeless person a dollar, I wish there was something more I could do. So just just take a couple days and do an assessment of the needs around you and then decide which ones, and it doesn't have to be one, it could be one, two, three, could be several, could you play a practical role in? And what I'm not saying is it always has to be money, Andy. So many people, you know, the, the book is about, hey, how do we make more money to do more good? But what I'm advocating is use your time, your money, or both. The goal is once you have a vested interest in something, now there's purpose. And what we find, and there's stories in the book about this, I'll, I'll share a quick story with you. Mike Norton, I mentioned earlier, the Harvard professor, goes on a college campus and does a, an experiment for 24 hours. And he gives random students basically an envelope, and in each envelope is a $20 bill. And one group, he tells them that by 8 o'clock tonight, you need to spend this on yourself, Okay, anything you want to do. The other $20 he gives out to a group of students and says, you need to spend this on someone else. Okay, And before he did this, he kind of measured their, their how happy they were, generally speaking. So he had kind of a baseline of what they were starting with. So the next day, brings the students back in and asks, hey, the, the students who bought something for themselves, they might have bought a candy bar or a, a treat or whatever it may be. How do they feel? Oh, they felt good, but it wasn't like a noticeable difference. It was like a momentary blip of, that was cool, on to the next thing. But the students who bought something for someone else, maybe they made a donation to the local food bank or they bought a, a stuffed animal for a niece or nephew or they, they helped somebody in need or they gave money to a homeless person, had a noticeable increase in their happiness quotient. And it wasn't just right then. They measured it a week later and it was almost just as high. And so what that taught us was is that people may say, well, giving all, all this kind of stuff but when you practically make someone else's life better, you feel better. The health benefits are there. The economic benefits, we've talked about that. I mean, the case can be made that when you're a giving person, but what I want to do is bring intentionality to it, not just wantonly throw a dollar or five dollars here or there. Not that those one or five dollars are meaningless. You know, when you do a crowdfunding campaign and you have 100,000 people to give a dollar, You've got some serious money there. So I wouldn't worry about the money. Just pick out a cause that really matters to you and then talk to your kids and your family about it and see, hey, could we do something as a family together? Because I just feel like the family that gives together really grows together. Derek, thank you so much for your time today. Talk to us about where people can grab this book and tell us where people can connect with you more. Well, Andy, this has been a real pleasure. I've looked forward to this podcast for a long time. The book is Good Money Revolution, and we want to get this message in the hands of in as many people as possible. So you can go to goodmoneychapters.com and get the first five chapters of the book for free. Goodmoneychapters.com, goodmoneychapters.com. Also on Instagram at Derek T. Kinney, we post daily videos to help improve people's lives and their relationship with money.
Excellent. Derek, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Andy. It was a pleasure to be here. Wealth and happiness. We're all about that here on this show. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Derek Kinney. Number one, tie your profit to purpose. After you take care of your basic needs and you're able to move out of that everyday fear mode that sometimes comes with money, the general increase in happiness that comes with more money can be short-lived. That is if it's tied around material things. Derek makes the point that we need to have a bigger purpose for the use of our extra money. And for everyone, that could be different, right? But big purposes like strengthening family, strengthening community, strengthening our society at large sound like worthwhile purposes to me. Number two, steadily increase your giving over time. If you're not giving much today, giving higher percentages like 5% or 10% might feel impossible. But if you have a cause or a purpose that calls to your heart, giving just a bit more over the months and years can really start to add up. Nicole and I did this for our family just about five years ago. We realized we were given around 1% of our income. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but we wanted to do more. Over the next few years, we laddered up our giving from 1% to 3% and then 3% to 5%. And now today we give 10%, but just in our own way, 5% to charities and causes we believe in. And then another 5% to family, friends, and neighbors in need. But this 10% thing didn't happen overnight. It took five years for us to ease into it. So if this message calls to your heart, give yourself a goal and ladder up your giving. Number three, the more you give, the more comes back to you. Derek's point about giving more, allowing you to get more in return, feels right to me. Some of the most memorable and meaningful moments in my life have come from giving my time, giving my money, and giving my voice to things I'm passionate about. Perhaps you're in a season right now where giving more money is tough. Well, perhaps you can give more of your time instead. Time is tight? Well, use your voice through social media or through conversation to boost up a charity or a cause you care about, there are always ways to give. It just takes us being willing to give, right? I believe that willingness has the potential to make our communities, our country, and the world a better place to live. And those are my top three takeaways, everybody. I would love to hear from you on what yours were. Please hit me up on social media, at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram, and at Andy Hill, MKM on Twitter, and Facebook, and let's keep the conversation going. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. A big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing today's show, and to Weird Digital Marketing for supporting us on Instagram and YouTube, and Mandy Burt for her stellar writing. This content would not be possible without you all. Thank you so much for your partnership. Hey, everyone, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know what time of year it is. Yeah, it's Big Tip Tuesday time. Woo! This is a tradition that focuses on giving big random tips to people in the service industry. Yes, Nicole and I have been saving up our money all year for this fun tradition, and we can't wait to spread some joy this holiday season. And we want you to join us. 
So here's how it goes in five easy and fun steps. Number one, pick your Tuesday. Choose a random day between now and December 31st. Why Tuesday? I really have no idea. I just, I think I made it up a few years ago and it it's like big tip Tuesday. It's got a little alliteration into it and it's kind of random on a Tuesday, right? So who expects a $100 tip on a Tuesday? So it could be random, right? But seriously, choose any day you want and commit. Number two, choose your place. Choose a place where someone in the service industry is working during the holidays to make money or just to simply make ends meet. Here are some sample locations for you. A local diner, a coffee shop, a fast food restaurant, a casual sandwich place where you go for lunch, a hair salon, a barber, you know, your Uber, your Lyft driver, a pizza delivery person, DoorDash, anything. You could even think about someone who you've interacted with this year that works in the service industry. Is there someone who you'd love to generously tip and make them smile? Sanitation worker. You know, the guy who did picks up your garbage. Think about those types of people throughout the year who've done great service for you. Number three, leave the big tip. Buy something for yourself and leave a very generous tip. Now, the size of that tip, it's up to you. You decide what generous means. Nicole and I allocate 1% of our take-home pay to random acts of kindness, just like this. So we're more than likely going to give away a series of $100 tips at random to people that we've interacted with this year or people we interact with randomly over the next six weeks. Like we've done in the past, we're going to involve our kids as well. That way they can see this fun kindness in action. Number four, write on the receipt. If you get a receipt, write on the receipt, hashtag Big Tip Tuesday, and then leave them a note of gratitude for their service and wish them a happy holiday. For example, thank you for the great meal and your smile. Have a wonderful day. Hashtag Big Tip Tuesday. It's as simple as that. And then number five, share it and inspire others to give. Share the receipt on social media with the hashtag Big Tip Tuesday and tell everyone about your fun adventure in big tipping. Make sure to remove any uh, financial information like credit card information before posting it on social media. We wouldn't want to have this be a difficult situation for you with people stealing your identities. And please, when you do this, contact me or tag me, you know, at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram or at Andy Hill MKM on Twitter and tell me how it went. I want to feature your kindness on my podcast in the coming weeks or on social media, this sort of stuff becomes infectious. You see people giving, you want to give and your generosity that one moment it may spread. It's incredible. I'm telling you, it happens. Last year, our community gave $2,500 to hardworking people in the service industry all around the country from New York to Utah to Georgia and a half a dozen other locations. Our community came out strong with a generous bang. Now, I would love for our community this year to exceed that amount. I'm shooting for 3000 bucks this holiday season, and I think we can do it. That would be $3,000 of joy spread to those who are hustling during the holidays with this extra cash that hustling that they're doing and this extra cash that you could give them, they could pay down some debt. They could save for emergencies. They could start to build wealth for their families and situations. They could give gifts to their family during the holiday. Giving is just so much fun. Think about the smile you'll bring to someone's face who's not expecting it during the holidays. Anyway, I'll get off my uh, soapbox, but I hope you join me. Thank you for considering it. 
Again, if you decide to give and when you do give, please contact me on social media at marriagekidsandmoney.com, at marriagekidsandmoney on Instagram, or at Andy Hill MKM on Twitter or Facebook, or you just do it via email at Andy at marriagekidsandmoney. The best way actually would be a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. Anyway, any way you choose, written, verbal, I'll be sharing all of your giving on upcoming shows. That way we can inspire people. Remember, goodness, kindness, and giving, it's infectious. So let's spread some joy this holiday season and have it reverberate across our community, across our country, across the world. This podcast will be the megaphone to share your good deeds. So please join me and I'll report back on our family's Big Tip Tuesday experience as well. Thank you so much for considering it. This is my fun little holiday thing to do. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Robert Louis Stevenson. Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. Let's all plant some seeds of compassion, community, and hope today, my friends. Carpe diem. 